Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, who can guess what we're going to talk about today? Andy, you ruined it. It was supposed to be a surprise. Oh, and the kids. I almost ruined the kids leaving to go to their Sunday school class. So the kids, they can go ahead and be dismissed. I was busy worrying about my joke and forgot about the kids. So see where my priorities are. (laughs) Amen. You know... The last few times that, well, there's only been two times pastors asked me to fill in for him. Between the first and the second time, it was like 13 months, and I was beginning to worry if like maybe I did a bad job or something, but it's been only like a month or so, or six weeks or so, so maybe, maybe I'm getting better, or maybe he's getting more desperate, I don't know, so, <laughs> amen. But anybody who has been in church any amount of time has heard the story of David and Goliath. You know, how many of you have not heard about David and Goliath? Raise your hand. Never. 100%. So everybody's heard about David and Goliath, so we can all just go home. No. Um, this is, the story of David and Goliath found in 1 Samuel 17 is easily the most popular, popular and recognizable story in the entire book of 1 Samuel, but probably even the entire Bible. You know, there, there may be a few other stories, maybe the story, you know, and I say story, this, it's not some fairy tale, it's actual accounts, but, but the narrative of maybe Jesus Christ dying on the cross and the resurrection, maybe that's more popular, but, you know, at least before high school, we hear a lot about David and Goliath, you know, would you agree? I, I mean, everybody's heard that, so... But you know what? I, I remember growing up in church and hearing this account taught. How many of you know what flannel graph is? Pastors talk about flannel graph. You know, the little, the little flannel board that you would stick the figurines on. And, you know, uh, what, what did he say the other day? How Jonah was eaten by the fish. You just slide the figurine behind the whale and it looks like he ate the fish, you know, and little tricks you can do like that. Or, or the picture books, the flip books, you know. And I, I, can, I can picture some of those figurines and some of those flip books. Like I can see the images in my mind right now. They've been seared into my, you know, f- you know young forming mind. And I, I remember, how many of you sang songs about David and Goliath? There's one in particular that I'm thinking of. It goes, only a boy named David, only a little sling. If you know it, sing it. Only a boy named David, and he could play and sing. Only a boy, see if I remember. Only a boy named David, only a rippling brook. Only a boy named David, and five little stones he took. And one little stone went into the sling, and the sling went round and round. And this is where you had a lot of fun as a kid, hitting your friends with your arms, flailing it about. And one little stone went into the sling, and the sling went round and round. I've got a memory, or not a memory, a video that I've seen of Braxton back there singing, um, oh, what was that song? The Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. And then their boat was full of fishes, and you go around and when you're four years old and knocking your kids down. Anyway, Rabbit Trail. This is not about, you know, the, the, that song. It's about this one. And round 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 and one little stone went up in the air. And what happened? And the giant came tumbling down. So that's how the that's the song, you know, flashback. That made me feel a lot better just now. You know, this is one of the most familiar and recognizable stories in the entire Bible. And usually the teachers get all of the facts straight about the account, but it's where where, where many people get off track is in the application. You know, a pastor talked about how Jonah, you know, how we think of ourselves as Jonah, or we, you know, we make ourselves the hero of the story. When in fact, in the account of Jonah, 
we're more paralleled to the people of Nineveh. You know, we're the people that need the mercy of God in our lives. And, you know, in the end, Jonah needed the mercy of God in his life too. But what do you, what do you commonly hear people preach about David and Goliath? How you can, conf- you can defeat all your giants, right? And, and we, we, we like, as human beings, we like to make ourselves the hero of the story, don't we? Like, I'm David, if I, if, and, and we, we hear like the five smooth stones of the brook, you know. And you have to have the stone of faith, and you have to have the stone of obedience, and you have to, you know, and, they, and, and you hear five different preachers preach five different messages on David and Goliath, and there's all different combinations of stones. So which, which preacher's right? And how many stones did it take to defeat Goliath? One. So which one of those stones is the one that you need to kill Goliath, right? So, the, you know, a lot of times those messages are great, and they're, they're engaging, and they, they, what they do is they play on our emotions a little bit, making us the hero, and how we can defeat our giants. That makes us feel good, right? It makes me, you know, I can, I can go home, and I can work on my faith, and I can work on my worship, and I can work on my Bible reading, or, or whatever the stones are in the message, I can work on those, and I can do it all. So, I want to I let us look at it in a different way than maybe you have heard before. And, you know, <laughs> Pastor likes to talk about a, a little bit of rabbit trail, but I'll bring it back, how there's a difference between exegesis and eisegesis. How many of you remember him talking about that every once in a while? You know, nobody. I do, because I'm a nerd. And exegesis means, think of exit. There's an exit sign back there. Exegesis, to take out. So you, you grab the text, you grab the Bible, and then you pull out of it the meaning. Okay? Eisegesis is the opposite. It means to put in. And so it means to take your ideas or your conceptions or your thoughts and you try to superimpose them on the scripture. You try to insert them and make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. I remember um, whenever uh, I was 18 or 19 and I was in Bible college and I had this great sermon idea. It was um, Naaman the leper. How many of you know the story Naaman the leper? He was a leper, he was diseased, and then the guy tells him, go down to the Jordan and I want you to to dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan, and then you'll come up clean, right? That's how the story goes. And I was thinking, oh, you know, seven ducks in the muddy water. Isn't that a great title? And I was like, okay, the one duck would be obedience. And the one, you know, and, and, and duck, dunk, you know, it's kind of funny, at least to me, but I have a weird sense of humor. And so that's, a, that's, that's one way of eisegesis. I'm putting what I want the scripture to say, and I'm, I'm putting my thoughts in it, and then I'm using the scripture to back up what my thoughts are. That's eisegesis. And so that's a good, that's another, um, another way of doing it. But the problem in this is, or any, any biblical account is, we just try to make ourselves the hero. That, that's what we like to do. We like to be the ones in control. We want to be the ones that come out on top in the end. And we want to be the ones with all the answers. But I don't think ever in Scripture we can be compared to the hero in the story. We're usually, you know, usually Jesus, well not usually, always Jesus or God is the hero. And we're the maiden that needs to be saved from the dragon. You know, that, that's, we're, we're in this specific story, we've got um, David and King Saul. Well, King Saul and the Israelites, and then Goliath, 
Those are the main people. And guess what? David's the hero. Goliath is the, is the dragon. And then the Israelites are the maiden that needs, to, needs saving in the story. And guess what? We're the Israelites. Men, we're the maiden that needs saving. Okay? So we don't like that. I don't like that. But it's the truth. So um, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll read the first 11 verses of 1 Samuel 17 for context, and then, then we'll really get into the message. So uh, if you, we've got that up on the screen now. First uh, Samuel 17, verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to the battle, and were gathered together at Soko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko, Azka, and Ephes Demim, uh, or something like that. I'm not a scholar in that way, so you can just take my... Uh, pronunciation for a grain of, with a grain of salt. So, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they pitched by the valley of Elah and, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistine named Goliath of Gath. How about, how about that name? Goliath of Gath. That's, that's just a, a bad guy's name whose height was six cubits and a span. I've been told that that's a little shy of ten feet tall, nine foot and some change. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and it was, and was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and the staff of a spear was like a weaver's beam and the spear's head weighed six shekel, or 600 shekels of iron. Uh, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine, and ye are servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you to let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we, both, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall be... Uh, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we've already talked a lot, but Lord, I pray you bless what's been said. And Lord, that you would uh, reveal to us what the scripture has to say about this passage. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've already mentioned this. Guess what? Whitehall Baptist Church and friends, we're not David. We're not. We, we would like to be. I would love to be the hero of my own story, but I'm not. We're, we are Israel. That's who we are. I spoiled my slides, but I'm new, to, I'm new to using all the fancy stuff in the slides, so you'll have to bear with me. Anyway, Jesus is the hero. That, that, that's the hero in our story. If you are a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not your own hero. Jesus Christ is the hero. Jesus is the one slaying the giants in our lives. We're not David. We're Israel in this story. We are a people who needs a champion. The passage talks about how Goliath of Gath came out and that he calls him a champion. Do you know what a champion is? We, we use it now as like, you know, you won the Super Bowl, you're the Super Bowl champions, or, or you know, something like that, you know, you're a world chess master champion, or, or whatever. A champion, more literally uh, defined, is one who stands in between. 
One, one, one who represents or goes forward in front of someone else. And that's, what, that's exactly what Goliath was doing. The armies of the Philistines were on one side, and every day, the Bible says in here, for 40 days straight, Goliath would come out in front of the army, down into the valley, look up at the Israelite army who was cowering in fear, and say, hey, somebody come and get me. You know, somebody come show me, like, let, let's fight. They're talking about single combat is what they're talking about, where one, one side would send out their best guy, and the other side would send out their best guy, and they would fight. And between those two, whoever won, their whole side won. That's what it feels like at the Super Bowl, you know, if my Cowboys would ever get back there. You know, like, they're my boys. If, if they're champions, then I'm champion. So I haven't been a champion for, since the mid-'90s, so... Um, but we had, a good, we had a few, like three really good years in a row. But that, that's what a champion is. And you know what? When you think about that, Jesus is our champion. He, he's the one that stands before us. So in looking at verses 1 through 11, we're, we're taken to the Valley of Elah. There's two armies set against each other, and I've already covered, covered this. And in verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of... Uh, well, verses 12 through 19. Now, David was the son of that Epaphrathite, pastor can correct me whenever he gets back, of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among them for an, uh, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went all, went and followed Saul to the battle, and the names of the three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, the next of him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near, uh, drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said uh, unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to, the, to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses uh, unto the captain of their thousands, and look how thou brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now, notice David's obedience to his father. He was the youngest, he was the baby, and he was a shepherd boy, and he was also in this passage the errand boy. So he was the youngest, and his father charged him with the task of taking all these snacks or these food out to the battle. I read somewhere that from Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah was somewhere 9, 10, 11, 12 miles away. So he would go down there. So one thing I thought about is like, imagine the battle where your, your nation is just a few miles away. We're pretty blessed that most of all of our battles have taken place on foreign soil far away from us, and we've been pretty safe. That's, that's one thought that I've had. But, but David was the errand boy, and, and he was obedient in, in, in the charge that he was given. Now, the instructions were given, and the obedience of David follows immediately. If you look at uh, verse number 20. And David rose up early in the morning, and he left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench of the host, which was, uh, as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. 
For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Now, the instructions were given and the obedience of David followed immediately. David was responsible, he didn't sleep in, and he left his sheep with the keeper. Now, I don't know exactly how old uh, David was. I've heard a lot of different ranges where, you know, he was 11, 12, he was 21, 22. I don't know for sure. And I didn't dig into that this week, but he was a young man. Can we all agree? He was a young man. Now, where I work, we have a hard time finding young men that will work. Okay? (laughs) Anybody, can anybody relate? Like, you know, and we, we've been blessed. We've had some really good, good young guys that come and work. But some of the other guys that just churn through, they can't get up on time. They, 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 they're not responsible. You have to, you know, kick them every once in a while to get anything done. But this wasn't David. David he says he rose up early. And, and whenever he left, he, di- he just didn't leave the sheep to themselves. He left them with the keeper. You know, a lot of times young people, and, and, and I was young too, and I was not David whenever I was young. It's taken me quite a few years to figure out a few things, and I still got a ways to go. But he left him with the keeper. He rose up early. He set his alarm, you know, whatever that in, you know, the Old Testament when an alarm clock was. Maybe it was a, there, whenever I came in, I heard the, the rooster crowing over here next door. But um, regardless... He followed his father's instructions exactly. If you noticed earlier in uh, verse number 17 or something, it says that Jesse told him to, to run to his brothers. And whenever the account says that he, he, left, his, he left his coach with, with someone, he says he ran into the army. So he, he followed it exactly. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Um, there was something, there, there is something special about a young person who's willing, and, and an old person for that matter, an uh, older person, not calling anybody old, but for any person that will work hard. It, it, it's hard sometimes to find people that'll work. And, and David, David is a hard worker and he's responsible, he's respectful, he's obedient. And how many of you can check the box in your life that I'm all those things? You know, you might be able to put a half check here and maybe a full check here, but we all have places that we can work. So there, I, I don't see myself being David in this story, at least not as a 21-year-old guy back in the day and sometimes not even as a 38-year-old. Um, took me a minute. I'm getting, going senile. I'm in my old age. Um, but, but David, in this, in this passage, in this story, is a wonderful picture of Christ. Christ did a lot of hard work for us. Christ did a lot of things. He was responsible and he cared and he did the right thing. And Jesus was obedient to the will of his father and Jesus became a servant as well. The Bible talks about how he was obedient and he was obedient uh, uh, all the way to the death on the cross. And and he did the will of his father. So if we look in um, verse 23 of the passage... And speaking of David, as he talked with them, he's talking to his brothers, behold, there came up uh, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. Now, it's kind of implied that David was the errand boy, and he went out there many times, but it seems like this is the first time he's heard Goliath 
do the taunting that he usually does, like that he's been doing for 40 days. And, and this, is, this seems like the first time to me that David hears uh, Goliath taunting. And everyone else, the armies of Israel and King Saul, they've been hearing it day after day after day after day for 40 days. And they've kind of, they, they're, one, they're fearful, they're afraid, like they're all afraid. And they're hearing it day after day after day. And guess what? It takes someone new to come into the situation to hear it. And it, and it rings uh, more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's more serious than maybe everyone else is perceiving after a month and a half of hearing all of this taunting. Now, David was interested in the battle and he hears the shout of the giant and, and Saul and the armies of Israel had grown used to these shouts of the giant and they were doing nothing. They were cowering in fear. And, but David, on the other hand, was listening. You know, after, after you hear somebody say the same thing over and over and over again, many times you, you kind of have a deaf ear to it. You don't listen. You may, you may hear it, but you really don't hear it. You know, whenever my kids ask me the same thing a hundred times in a row, it's just like, okay, I, I know. And then my wife walks in and is like, didn't you hear what AJ's saying? It's like, yeah, he's been asking for 45 minutes, you know. I told him no, you know. But, uh, but then she gives it to him, No. She usually doesn't undercut me like that unless she, she is unaware. But anyway, so Dave, David was listening. And I think it's important that we, that we listen when something's going on like that. Now, in verse 24, and all of these men of Israel, they, they, uh, and all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So they would hear, you know, they would go down to battle and then Goliath would come out and want to fight and then the, the uh, army of Israel would flee. Day after day, and I think it said earlier, morning and evening, this would happen. Now, um, the men of Israel were fleeing from the champion and were petrified. Um, just as they had been doing for 40 days straight. Um, this sounds more like us, doesn't it? When, when trouble comes up, we tend to avoid it. We were talking in Sunday school how, uh, in, in Colossians, how Paul talked about the joy of suffering for Jesus, you know. But that's something completely foreign to most of us because we try to avoid the suffering. We try to avoid the hard things when a lot of times it's the hard things that make us grow the most. And all of these men, they were, they were running away from the difficulty. And this is, this is an example of how we usually are, um, more like Israel and not David. So verse 25, And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely uh, to defy Israel he has come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter uh, give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel these men begin to talk to each other uh, or maybe even to David about the giant it, it doesn't say who they're talking to and it doesn't even say that Saul himself said this you know it, it sounds it sounds kind of like the rumor mill working you know like it, it doesn't say hey Saul has said that you know if you kill the giant, you can have my daughter and you can be rich for the rest of your lives and be free here in Israel. It sounds more like rumors or something. I, I wonder if David sees the armies fleeing back to the camp and looks at them like, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, I, that, that's what I imagine this. It's not in there. Maybe it's in the, the original Hebrew. Um, but I, I see David going like, okay, guys, what's up? You're like, you're our army. Go fight the guy. Let's, you know, he's talking about our God. Let's go. Um, 
and, and just giving them that look. It's like, why are you running? And they respond, it's like, have you seen this guy? It, it says right here, it's like, have you seen the man that has come up? It's like, David says, hey, what are you doing? And they guy, did you see the guy? You know, like, that, that's how I imagine it. Maybe it's too many sitcoms that I've watched with all the sarcasm, but, but that's what I see. I think they had sarcasm back here in, in Israel anyway. Um, and that, uh, they begin to say that the person who can kill the giant, the king will make him very rich, give away the king's daughter as wife. And David in verse 26 says, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Um, it says, and David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine? Uh, and taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So he hears kind of the, what, I, what I imagine as the rumor mill working, saying, hey, if you kill this guy, you'll get, you'll get a wife, the king's wife. You'll basically be a prince. You're going to get all this money, and your whole family will live you know, tax-free for the rest of your days in Israel. And, and David's like, say what now? But, but, then, but then it really starts to sink in, and he starts talking about this uncircumcised Philistine, which isn't a compliment, and he says that he should defy the armies of the living God. So he's like, okay, what's going on? But then he's like, but wait, this, like, why isn't, like, who, who cares about the wife and the money? Like, he's, he's talking about our God here, you know? How many of you really get hot under the collar when somebody talks about your wife or your kids or, or whatever, your family? Like, I, I take that pretty personal, you know, like I've seen guys that you even like it can be just joking around like guys do at work. You say something about a wife and they're like instantly like it could be completely innocuous. It could be completely just joking. And he's like ready to throw down like and that's how I see David like, hey, they're talking about our God. They're talking about the living God, the God of Israel. Verse 27. Uh, and the people answered. Uh, him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. So David's talking, Are you serious? And why aren't we doing something about this? And the men say, Yes, we're, we're serious. We're, this is true. But if you look back, David, like I said just a second ago, he's, he's more worried about what's this pagan enemy of ours talking about our true and living God. That, that's what he narrows down at the end of verse 26. He's like, we, we worship the living God. Like, we, we have God, the God. Like, there, there are not many gods. There is one God, and he's on our side. And these guys, they don't even know what they're talking about. Like, we should, like there's, there's no contest, is what David's thinking. And in verse, um, in verse 28, how many have siblings? Have brothers and sisters. Like, th- this, this hits home if you've got brothers and sisters. And in verse 28, it says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and, he, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that, thy might, that thou mightest see a battle. So we got the baby brother and Eliab, the oldest brother, having a little sibling rivalry here. It says, um, he begins to belittle and mock David. It's like, little man, what are you doing? Like, you, you should be in the wilderness looking, at, looking after your couple of little sheep over there. Like, what are you doing here? We're, this is the boys' club. You need to go into the, the babies' club. Like, this is the man's club. You need to go, just go do your chores. Go hang out with dad at the homestead. We've, we've got this. You just want to see, you just want to see the spectacle of it all. You know, that, that's what, that's what I see here. And it, when you think about this, 
Eliab begins to turn on his own brother. Okay, like, do you see it? He turns on his own brother, and he's mocking and belittling him. Who else in this story has been mocking and belittling someone else? Goliath. Goliath goes out there every day saying, you Israelites, you're just nothing but a bunch of trash, and you're, you're God's stupid, and, you know, it's like, and your mom's this, and, you know, and he's just going out there just mocking and belittling, and then guess what? Eliab turns around and does the same thing to his own brother. When all of his brother was doing was obeying his father, that's all it, Jesse said, hey, I, uh, uh, I almost said my name, I'm not David, remember, um, <laughs> uh, Jesse said to David, go down, take these snacks, uh, some cheese and some corn, um, maybe some saltine crackers and, um, I don't know, what's, what's a good snack? Chips and salsa, you know, take some chips and salsa down to your, your brother's. And that's all that David's doing is he's just obeying. And then, and then uh, Eliab, you know what Eliab does right here? He judges his own brother's intentions. That's what he's doing. He's like, you, I know your pride. He, he accuses him of being prideful. He accuses him of having naughtiness in his heart and that he just, he just wants to come see a battle and maybe see somebody get killed or, or, or whatever, you know, kind of, you know, I, I, I remember as a kid, like, like to watch, uh, like WCW wrestling and, and, and just, I knew it was all fake. Spoiler alert. It's all fake. But, you know, it's like, oh, I want to see this guy come out, Hacksaw Jim Duggan or whatever, and Tatanka and all that stuff. Does anybody remember those guys? Nobody, just me? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, but I remember, like, this is a big spectacle. This is awesome. Like, they're, you know, they're talking about each other's moms and they're body slamming all this stuff. But that's what, you know, that's, that's what Eliab is accusing David of doing is just, like, you're, you're just a little kid. You just want to see the show. You're just prideful, you know, and all this good stuff. And he's starting to sound more like the enemy than, than family. Um, we should be careful about presuming the intentions and hearts of other people, okay? I, I, I don't do this, and I should. I try. But whenever you, there's somebody that you're, you, know, you see yourself as against or you disagree with them, it, it's true in families, it's true in politics, and true in the workplace, and you see them do something that you disagree with or you, you, know, you just don't quite see things eye to eye, don't automatically jump to their evil. Don't automatically jump saying, hey, they did that personally against me. A lot of times people just, they don't think and they do something and it just happens to, to go against what your plan is or what your feelings or thoughts are. Whenever, whenever there's something that you disagree with, I think it's a good practice just to assume that they had the best intentions until they, they prove it otherwise. That will, that, will, that will help on social media, that will help personally, that will help in so many different ways. Just, just take the high road and just assume that they had the best intention. They did what they thought was right until it's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that they did it because they wanted to maliciously hurt you or someone else. I, I've heard people say that that's a rule that they try to live by and, and, and I should live by that and I think we should all live that way. Because Eliab here, he automatically jumps on the, hey, you're, you're, you're evil, you're wrong, little brother. You, you're, you're prideful. And so in verse um, 29, we've got a long ways to go and a little bit of time, uh, but I'll hurry. 
Verse 29, David said, what have I now done? He's like, why do I deserve this? Like, what have I done to you? I brought you snacks. Come on. Like, you know, like, here's your chips and salsa and your Hershey's bar. Like, okay, I'll go home now. But he's like, what have I done? And he says, is there not a cause? This is another phrase that's been preached about a lot, and I think wrongly. You know, it, we make a big deal out of it. And the truth, like the truths behind David and Goliath that we hear how we can defeat our giants, they can be okay as long as we're trusting in God to slay the giant for us, which David does, but we get it all wrong. But this one's like, there, is there not a cause? Like, is there not a reason why we should go down? And it's clear in the text that there is. But when, when you look at this, this phrase as it was translated, it, it, it just means like, can I speak now? Like, what, what have I done? Can I stand up and defend myself? Um, that's, that's what I believe it to mean. Am I allowed to speak? And in verse 30, David turns from his brothers to try to find somebody that might give him a little extra respect. And so he, verse 30 says, And he turned from him towards another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. So what that's just saying is that he, he was trying to get to the bottom of it with his brothers. He gets belittled and mocked. And he's like, okay, I'm done with you guys. Let me go find the truth from these guys. And he begins to ask some other people what's going on. And, and he, gets, he gets the scoop from them. Now in verse number 31, it says, And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Saul sent for David. Uh, verse 31 is talking about how... Um, David's questions, after he was trying to get to the bottom of things, reached the ears of Saul, the king, and Saul requested, or not requested, but commanded that David come see him. Um, these men, let's see, where did I go? And David's questions reached King Saul, and he was brought before the king because of his words in verse 26. Now notice... Notice, um, as we go forward, David's concern for God's glory and the glory of God and not his own promotion and not his own pride and his own strength. David was a believer in the true and living God, knowing that God could deliver them from Goliath and the Philistines. So let's go in verse 31, or uh, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine and fight with him, for thou art but a youth, um, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. And thy servant slew both the lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with you. David tried to encourage the king and his fellow countrymen saying that they shouldn't fear or be afraid because David would go and fight for them. And he begins to tell them about all these things that he had done. I, I killed this lion and I killed this bear and this Philistine is going to be just like the, the lion and the bear. But he, it, it sounds like he's doing this, you know, patting himself on the back a little bit. But then at the end he says, just like God delivered those into my hand, that God will deliver this Philistine into my hand as well. So he's not saying, hey... 
I'm all that in a bag of nacho cheese chips, you know, just send me out. He's like, you know what, if God can use me to do that, then God can use me to take care of this Philistine, is what I see in this passage. Um, that, can, can you feel, can you see the gospel right there? Like, like really, we, as Israel, we were on the ropes, And then guess what? Jesus comes into the picture, and he defeats death, and he defeats sin, and he defeats the grave for his for for us. You know, one of Pastor's favorite stories that he talks about is how um, when Moses stood between God and the people. Remember how a few a couple months ago, but he talked about how how the plague was stayed because Moses stood between the dead and the living. Um, there, there's so much of the gospel story throughout the Bible if you just look for it, you know. And and David, he would fight for them and he would deliver the Philistines to them. Um. David says, you guys don't have to worry about it. I will go and fight. Now remember, we're not David in this story. David is a picture of Jesus. What does, what does Luke 2 say? I think I've got it up on the slides. Do I, Andy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. See the parallel between David and Jesus Christ just in that one verse? You know, it, it's talking about the lineage of David, and, and the lineage of Christ being born in the city of David. But we, this is, I just put that up there to say we're, we're, we're not David. Jesus Christ is David. He's the Savior. He's the one that's going to go out before us and fight for us. So going back to verse 33... And we'll, we'll, I just have a few more points here, and we'll, we'll be done. And Saul said to today, oh, we already read that. 38, sorry. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put, uh, put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded uh, his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Saul attempts to arm David with his own armor. Um, It's a very practical, very pragmatic way of trying to fight this battle. Okay, you've got this young 11, 12, 20-year-old person who's not seen battle. Let's protect him. Let's let's put all the armor on him. And and I kind of see, let's put my armor on him. Like Saul's like, okay, if I can't go, if I'm too big of a chicken, maybe, you know, maybe if I put my armor on him, maybe they'll think it's me out there. I don't know. That's that maybe not between the lines. But it's a very practical way. A lot of times we try to fight these battles in a very practical way and not rely upon the Lord. We, we, try, we try to figure everything out. We try to just, okay, um, there's this, this problem that I can't figure out. Like, but we, we try to, we try to, finagle and arrange and 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 do all the things and that's what Saul's doing he's like okay I don't see this little kid beating Goliath he really wants to go but let's let's try to arm him up as best as possible but um there there's he, he Saul wants to beat human strength with human strength but also Saul is given David giving David his own kingly armor which could be a symbolic gesture how the the office of king 
is being transferred from Saul onto David. Because David, David I believe, has already been anointed um, to be king by Samuel uh, previously in this, in this book. But it's, it's almost symbolic of the king's armor going onto this young boy that will one day be king. Um, I don't know if that's there or not, but it's just kind of a, a thought that I wrote down. And Saul probably didn't even realize what he was doing. But David didn't need it to defeat the giant. And the last verse that we'll cover today, it says, And he took his staff in hand, and he chose five smooth stones out of the brook. He only needed one, but he took five. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even a scrip. And a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, today's passage that we'll read ends with a picture of David taking just his staff, his shepherd's bag, stopping by a brook and retrieving the five smooth stones, and then walking down into the valley to faith Goliath of Gath. We, we see this young boy. I, I mean, maybe he was my size if he was, you know, 20-something. Maybe he was smaller. And it's, I, I just picture this image of this, this young boy walking down to face the giants all by himself in, in, that, in that valley. Like, doesn't that seem like a real lonely picture? Because there's a, there's a, a, a valley in the middle. There's a, the Israelites over here, the Philistines over here. I don't know if Goliath was already down there mocking or, or not, but he knew that he was going to face the giant. He knew that he was going to face Goliath. And just that picture, it's a picture of how God uses meekness or, or weakness and what to us may seem like foolishness to defeat strength. You know? It, it, the, there's a verse that talks about how my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, uh, if, we, if it made sense, like if Israel found, somehow found their own giant with, you know, that was 11 feet tall and had a bigger sword and a bigger shield and better armor and went down and defeated him. Where's the glory for God in that? Right? If, if they brought a tank down there or, you know, scud missiles or whatever. Like, it makes sense to us. Like, you know, the saying is, I don't, I don't know what he's bringing to the fight, but I know what I'm going to bring. You know? That doesn't give God any glory. That, 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 that doesn't... That doesn't make God the hero of the story. That makes us. It makes our ability. And, and the picture that I see of young David, you know, confidently but meekly walking down into the valley of Elah to fight the giants is a picture of, of God using weakness to defeat strength. That's, that's the message of the cross, isn't it? To, to, to the outsiders, people saw Jesus, you know, to the non-believers, to the Roman soldiers, to the, to the Pharisees. They just saw Jesus as some guy that's just causing a bunch of trouble. You know, that's how they saw it. Jesus didn't come as a mighty king or commander of an army. Jesus came as a humble carpenter's son, born in a stable, and he lived a life without any wealth, and he died a, a, an excruciating, humiliating death. And to the outside, that may have looked pretty foolish of him, right? It's like, why make all this big noise if you're just going to hang on a cross and die and never be remembered? But in the end, 
that what seemed to man as weakness was the greatest feats ever accomplished in human history. It was, it was this carpenter's son, this, this poor man, he defeated sin and death and the grave for eternity. That, that's what we celebrated just a couple weeks ago in the resurrection. Like, da- David, David's the perfect picture, I don't know, perfect, but it's a great picture of, of what seems foolish, what seems as just like, okay, he's going to get slaughtered, like, you know, he can just, you know, f- you know thump him and he'd be out of there. But in the end, this was a pivotal point in Israel history and especially David's history. Where David's life turned completely around because of this incident, between this fight. And, and when we look at the cross, like that's the pivotal point in, in human history, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, I really don't have a beautiful way to wrap this up other than to say that we need to see David as the hero, as, as Jesus Christ in our story. David was not perfect. David was not Jesus. But we need to see that he was the one that stood between Goliath and his own people and allowed God to use him. And when we, when we try to think that, hey, we've got it all figured out, if we can just go out there and take our Bible and, and all the hopes and dreams and wishes and tackle everything in the world then we're sorely mistaken. We're relying on ourselves. We're relying on what we can do. And if, and if we can do everything, if we can get rid of all of our problems, if we can solve everything, then who needs God? Who needs Jesus? Who needs the redemptive work in our life if we can just figure it out? And we're just sorely mistaken if, if we think we can do it all. So let's go ahead and pray. Um, I'll, I'll get to some announcements and then we will be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father,